Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode that we have brought to you in regards to Movember and Men's Health Month. We have brought on Dr. Pramal Patel. He is the medical director and co-founder of the Men's Health Clinic that just opened in Manitoba. And listen, this guy's jack of all trades. He does it all. He focuses on male infertility, testosterone, microsurgery, sexual medicine, and he has a big passion for the surgery side. He really loves to take care of things with his hands. He's a very much like a man he appreciates working in the kinesthetic side of things so we got able we were able to get into topics like prostate cancer male infertility testosterone testosterone replacement we got into every bit possible around what it takes to focus on our health as men yeah i mean it was a very interesting conversation i think that we we turned over as many rocks as we possibly could um, we talked about testosterone we talked about steroids we talked about you know the the active use of Viagra and Cialis mm-hmm. at young ages and its long-term effects on us. You know, we also um, talked about just the environmental changes that we're going through with more and more men working office jobs and working in less laborious industries. Mm-hmm. How has that affected, you know, testosterone levels, libido, sexual drive? Um, Pramel put it best and gave us a, a new term here, the, the porn-demic, you know, mm-hmm. how is the porn-demic you know, affected not only the physical elements of a man, like, you know, talking about erectile dysfunction and things like that, but like the psychology, you know, I think a lot of men he was saying are struggling with, you know, it's not they're they're not able to get, you know, an erection They're they're they can't think about it, like the way they're thinking about it is has changed. And, you know, how was that? How was this 4k porn and the accessibility of it, you know, implicated those things. So I think that we got into a lot of stuff. It was a very interesting conversation. And um, definitely excited for you guys to hear this one. Absolutely. And for me, the, the biggest part for me, I remember asking this guy this question. I was like, listen, prostate cancer is high. It's one in nine. What can we do about it? Like we're all biohackers out here now. We want to be able to take care of this. And he's, his answer, I almost just gave it to you. It shook me. It was, it was caught me off guard. Um, so you're going to get a lot of value. We had a good time. Ramal is an incredible guy. He just came out of taking care of his children. He's like, listen, I got to put my kids to bed before we do this. So we, we recorded it at night, but I know you'll find a lot of value in especially retrospect to it being November and Men's Health Month. So make sure to download, have a listen, let us know what you think, and we'll see you inside. You know, I think just as you, as you were kind of talking about how, how um, you know, young guys are able to get pills and stuff like that easier or Viagra Cialis, I, I feel like a lot of these conditions, men sort of come out now and kind of seek them, you know, whether it's like hormone replacement or erections or curvature issues. Um, I think the one thing that they often don't talk about is the impact it's having on their relationship. Mm. You know, I think that's always tends to be, they don't really know because I don't think they often talk about it with their partner is that like talking about what they're struggling with, very easy for guys to talk. You know, I think, I think when they when they come in, they want they want to seek help. They want to figure out what's going on and fix it. Um, but then when you often ask, how is this impacting your relationship? I think that's where the challenging part comes in because they don't often know. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 say, well, we haven't really talked about it. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for another podcast by Modern Masculinity. I'm your co-host, CK, a.k.a. Coach Kyle. What's going on, my people? It's Anwar Ahmed, a.k.a. A-Squared. 
And as mentioned, we have a fantastic guest coming on today. We're excited to get into the conversation. But before we do that, you know what time it is. It's Moochat. What's going on? What's going on? Pramel, start with you today. How you doing, man? How you feeling today? I'm good. I'm feeling good. I appreciate you guys having me on having me on the podcast. I, uh, this is a great opportunity. Unreal, man. Yeah, we're I echo what you know Kyle had mentioned there. We're honored and thankful that you made the time to be on the podcast. We're definitely excited to kind of get into uh, some of the topics that we have here today uh, in the name of Movember. But we want to kind of push back a little bit. Uh, one thing that we you know we get used to as men is the idea of just I'm good and kind of keep it moving. Um, so we'll, I'll rephrase the question. What is, if you were to give me your mood in like a, you know, a sensation, what would you say? Like, what are, what, what are the sensations that you're feeling, um, you know, coming into the episode, coming into the podcast, or, you know, even from, you know, your day today? It's funny. You, it's funny you said that. I mean, yeah, you're right. hundred percent. You just say it's all good. Actually, I tore my Achilles three weeks ago. So I'm mm. here just, uh, you know, I got, I'm wearing a boot right now on my, my left leg and I just had to take out the garbages. So, you know, I'm, I'm mm. actually pretty sore right now. So, <laughs> you know, we just, we, we, you know, to be honest, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sore. I'm like, uh, I'm happy to be sitting down right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's a great answer. It's funny though, how all the little things we miss just in the context of conversation. Appreciate you answering that with honesty. Uh, that's tough, man. Man, honestly. Yeah, sorry to hear that, man. An yeah, Achilles injury is, is is tough. Yeah, it's all good. I was playing basketball, so uh, yeah, it happened a couple weeks ago. But uh, healing healing pretty good right now, so it's okay. Fair, fair. Are you going? For, are we going for a big dunk? And you came down hard, or what? Well, you know, you know, I was trying to. I was trying to. You know. <laughs> your Achilles, your Achilles answered the question of your attempt, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You so, know. what are you doing, man? You know like where like, you know where a land guy. We we stay on the land. Why are you trying to fly? Let's. Uh... It's like, come on, man, come on. I love it. Appreciate that. Thank C- you, brother. CK, oh, CK, man, how are you doing? Okay. Yeah, I'm coming at how you. I'm doing? coming at you. Uh, my mood, man. I uh, the, I guess it's gonna come out this week. Uh, I just recently arrived in Tulum, Mexico, and it has been one of the hardest transitions I have had. Um, so far in my life, uh, we got hit with a sickness like day one, which was very unexpected. We spent the last three months in Costa Rica and it was perfect, like no problems, no sickness, no really big adjustment, except for uh, transportation was a little difficult being distant from things. But here it's been completely different. Uh, distance is farther. Environment's completely different. And the sickness was tough. It took us out. She was kind of up and down exiting and We both had fevers, so we're just kind of coming off the back of that. So I really feel in this moment like I'm slowly coming back to grasp reality. When you're sick, there's nothing really you can just focus on other than getting better. It's just sick and then get better. And now all of a sudden, like life is beginning again, like as if you had just came out of like the birth canal. (laughs) That's sometimes how it feels. So I feel a little discombobulated. I feel a little over the place. So I'm hoping tomorrow a fresh wake up will treat me well so okay well hopefully we got some we got a torn achilles we got a fever what else what else? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a great way to start a me- i was gonna say it's a great way to start a health conversation it's a bunch of guys <laughs> struggling <laughs> just <laughs> um yeah i think my mood uh, i currently have been just i feel like living out of a suitcase the last couple of weeks so like i feel like i've just been 
been forced to be adaptable um, and just get comfortable where I can. And there's been no sense of groundedness in the last couple of weeks for me. I feel like I've just been fleeting with thoughts and um, literally different time zones and and home. So um, one, I feel excited for this conversation because I, I, I just genuinely find some of this stuff fascinating. Um, but the second side of that is I also feel a little bit like disorganized um in 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 my diet in my routine in my sleep and i'm definitely someone of order like i like routine i like order and i feel really out of place from that but uh you know sometimes you got to do what you got to do like you know you you got to continue to work you got to tour achilles you got to continue to you know record you got a flu so um that's kind of where i'm at right now but more so in this moment i definitely feel really excited loved having guests love the opportunity to learn love the opportunity you know to give the audience something something new and um yeah, I think I think uh, I'm excited for this conversation. There it is, folks. As always, make sure you check in with your mood. Thank you for uh, hearing ours and witnessing ours. So let's get into the conversation. We kind of mentioned at the beginning what we're going to get into. So we want to dive first and foremost straight into you, my man. We want to know right into the depth of who you are, and we kind of talked a bit about why we brought you on here. So. Let's open the gate. Let's open the floodgate here and you kind of take the floor. Tell us a bit about who you are and maybe get into a little bit more about who you are outside of um, what you do, but include that as well. Give us a give us a full breakdown. Sounds good. Well, I'm a Virgo, I think. Actually, I'm not even sure. Straight. Sure I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Straight to the stars, man. Yes. Uh, that is the yes. best yes. intro I've ever heard. <laughs> that's, that's what we're going to look to, you know? That's what we're going to look to. Okay, got it. So you're Virgo. Okay, continue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you know, I, um, I, uh, I've been around all kind of all throughout Canada, actually. So I, I grew up most of my life in the Maritime, so in St. John, New Brunswick. And then I, I did my undergrad in Ottawa in health sciences. And then I went to the University of Calgary for medical school. And then mm -hmm. I came here to the University of Manitoba where I did my urology residency. So that's after med school, you kind of pick a like a subspecialty. So I picked urology, which is about five years of uh, surgical discipline. And then I went down to Miami where I did some further training in male infertility and sexual medicine. And then, you know, I, I brought the brought the talents back to the beach or rather Manitoba. So I came <laughs> back here and uh, and uh, I've been here since uh, 2019. So that's been it's been really good. And, you know, um, yeah, it's been it's, it's been awesome. You know, I really love it. There's been a big need. And 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 then we opened up the men's health clinic earlier this year. And then it's just been it's just been the floodgates open, you know, so many people as soon as they found out that there was a clinic like this, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. You know, I think, uh, we're just growing exponentially. People are talking and I think, uh, what you guys are doing is fantastic as well, but it kind of echoes the sentiment amongst, I think all men and something that we're just not saying enough, or maybe we are saying it and, and, you know, we're just not, uh, all saying it together. <laughs> you know, we kind of say it maybe in our own private homes, uh, yeah. but that we need, we need to have these conversations. So, you know, kudos to you guys for starting this. I think this is great. Mm. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Okay, good start. All right, I like it. I like it. I have a question right out of the gate. What was it like living in the Maritimes? Because I was born and raised in Canada. I lived, I swear, everywhere it feels like, and I, I never went to the Maritimes. It never called to me. I need a little bit more about what it was like. How long did you live there? Yeah, I was there. So was I? I was probably there. Yeah, I was kindergarten to grade ten. So it would have been. Yeah, so it would have been a good Some formative years. years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like 10 years, 10, 11 years. Yeah, it was great. You know, honestly, uh, it's just a different kind of 
lifestyle, I guess, over there. It, it, you know, the Sapper, I haven't been back there in a long time. So, so I definitely want to go back and just see what it's like now mm. that, you know, now that I've lived at other places. But it's always so tough as a kid because you don't, you really don't have anything to compare it to. Um, mm. But yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Canadians have not moseyed their way out over to the Maritimes. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Okay. And it's so, funny that you use the word mosey specifically because moseying <laughs> over there feels like I'm going to mosey when I get there. So I didn't really feel super <laughs> called to go. It's a very interesting word. I want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think WestJet and Air Canada charging you the same amount to go to the Maritimes it is to go to the Bahamas is, uh, is, 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 is it's, uh, part of the yeah, problem. Yeah, um, you're not really feeling, feeling the, the Mar- you'd rather go to, <laughs> you'd rather go down but, south. Yeah. yeah, they need to they need to really change some of the pricing there because I think a lot of people would go check it out if it was a lot more affordable. But um, so I guess that the second part of our question here, we like to kind of get to know, you know, our guests, you know, who they were as a person and their interests and kind of how they came to be. Um, but then from all of those experiences, you know, all those different education points, all those different um, specialties, you found yourself in this venture that you've called, you know, you kind of alluded it to like the men's mental health clinic or mental or health clinic, men's health clinic, right? Mm -hmm. What inspired you to, I guess it would even go back one more step further, urology, like why did you want to specialize in that? And at what point did you realize that you wanted to focus on men's health or men's surgery and, you know, want to contribute to what you had alluded to as like the bigger conversation of, you know, men and their problems. Um, what kind of, what kind of net, what kind of led you there? Yeah. You know, when you, when you go through medical school, you sort of check out different, different uh, disciplines, right? So like you kind of, you don't really, most people don't really know what they want to do, right? So mm-hmm. they don't really have an idea. I want to do surgery. I want to do cardiology, you know? So I went through medical school. I had an open mind, I realized early on that I wanted to do something with my hands, you know, so I spent a lot of time looking at surgery. I really liked it. And then in, in Calgary, uh, I started working with the urology group and then I just loved it. You know, they, they were so happy. They really liked what they did. When I joined them in clinic, the patients were, um, you know, it, it was just, you were dealing with a lot of conditions. Um, when we think about infertility or erectile dysfunction or having peeing issues with your peeing, when you fix some of those problems, you're dealing with people that are just so happy. You know, so I found the patients were very happy and then the surgeons were very happy. So that's was probably the biggest reason that led me into urology because I was like, this is something that I see myself being happy with. Like I wanted to find a career that I wasn't going to just slave away, be miserable. Like I, I really wanted to enjoy my job. And then when you go through your, your urology, so during that five years of uh, surgical residency, you know, uh, urologists do massive surgeries. Like we do very big open surgeries. We do microsurgery. We do a lot of different things. So during that period, you also have to figure out then, well, what do I do want to do now within urology? Or do I just want to be a general urologist? And so for myself, I really like teaching. I like research. So I knew I wanted to work at an academic center. So like the University of Manitoba, Toronto, those kind of places. And so to work at these places, you really want to subspecialize in something. Like you want to be, you want to kind of have one niche. And then as I started spending more time, you know, specifically around like men's health conditions, like the erectile dysfunction, infertility, all those sort of things. Again, I realized that I just loved working with those patients. You know, I found it was great conversations. And surprisingly, a lot of people weren't even really talking about it. You know, like when you talk Mm -hmm. about some of the treatments for erectile dysfunction, people are just blown away. Like that exists. And I'm like, well, this, this has been around for decades. Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's so, it's so shocking how much we just don't talk about it. And then when we think about infertility, you know, I, I have two kids, you know, I have two beautiful kids, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed. And then when you think about people struggling with fertility issues, and you're able to help them, 
you know, it, it's amazing, right? So, you know, the goods are, the highs are highs, the lows, unfortunately, are very low. But I, mm. I found that I was picking an area where I was really working with, you know, couples and people and, um, and then really going down to some topics that uh, were very sensitive, and I felt comfortable having those conversations. And so that's kind of why I picked that area. Um, and something that, you know, was largely missing here in Manitoba. Hmm. Great, great response. I appreciate that. I really feel like I really got to know your experience through all of that. And the question came up for me around, you said that you feel or felt confident and comfortable in a way having those conversations with them. Was there a part of your upbringing or a part of your like maybe experience in MD that might have created that comfortability? And why I pointed out is because I've been to the doctor many times in my life. And I just feel like the the ability to communicate with me and have a conversation and even want to have a conversation around what's going on with my body or my sickness, it feels like it's missing. So it's interesting to hear you say, no, I actually felt really good about that. Like what, what do you credit that to? Well, I wouldn't say my upbringing because, you know, from a traditional Indian background, I, I don't even know if my, I don't think I've ever seen my parents kiss. So I'm not really sure how I came mm. into this world. So, you know, I would say that, uh, <laughs> so I would say in terms of that aspect, I'm not really sure. I don't know. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like I just, I find that like talking to people and, and, uh, and then once you, especially when you start communicating with something like this, people just generally open up, you know, if mm. a guy comes in and they've never met me before and all of a sudden they're going to start talking about their erections you know, it's already such a sensitive, it's everything's already on the table, you know? So, mm -hmm. so I, I feel like when you get down to it and you can really work someone through what's going on, how's it impacting them, you really connect with people on a different level. And, and uh, I think, you know, you learn, both of you are learning a lot from that experience. Let's, uh, let's stay there with erectile dysfunction and uh, fertility. I think that that's a good place for us to kind of start. It was one of our, you know, our topics. Um, what are some things that we'd be surprised to learn about that in terms of like, what are, what are the age ranges of people coming in with fertility issues or, um, you know, erectile dysfunction problems? And is it a shocking, or should you be surprised uh, if you're having that at a young age? Is this common? Like, what are some of the things that we'd be surprised to learn about that in that space? Yeah, so when you think about the fertility aspect, um, definitely up to 50% of when a couple is struggling to have, you know, get pregnant, and usually that's after 12 months of trying consistently, you know, it's it's always sort of sort of been rooted that it's the female is the most common. Um, there's some component there. But surprisingly, up to 50% can be male components. So there could be something mm. on the man's side that could be contributing to that. And there could be hormonal issues like low testosterone. There's things called varicoceles, which are sort of dilated veins in the scrotum. So, mm. you know, the, the testicles, they want to be outside the body because they want to be in a cooler environment. And so if you have these dilated veins, they're exposing the testicle to heat and they can impair the sperm count, the concentration, the movement of the sperm. You know, these things are very common. And so a lot of a lot of people don't even know these things can compromise their fertility. Um, so, you know, th they are more common than we than we think they are. And I think a lot of the focus tends to be on that female aspect that with the male is often neglected in that part of the workup. Um, so I think now, well, I wouldn't really say now, like, like we're getting to that point that it's becoming more common knowledge, but uh, mm. it's still a long ways to go. Mm. I had a, a question to kind of go back to that while you're, you were kind of speaking about that testicle and the, the, um, the veins in that specific area. I heard something about like 
using your laptop on your on your like if you're in your bed and you got your laptop mm. by your junk and like all that stuff i heard that that's mm. like is that correlated to erectile dysfunction at all is that true is that a myth is that a real thing and also yeah, it correlates it, to me in my head like when you're driving with the car seat heater on like the seat heater i've heard the same thing like it really affects this so i'm i was just about to ask the same question so we're on the same page let's go <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a great question I, I would say no like this the data doesn't really support it and, and that's because when you think about like these varicoceles like they're exposing the testicle to that level of heat 24 7 you know like it's like constant like if if you're if you're in your hot tub you know, a hour, a couple times a week. And, you know, if you're, you're having your laptop on your lap, like it's, it's just not enough to cause that same level of damage. So, you know, people ask me this question all the time. And I always give the same response is that unless you're like, you know, unless you're living in your hot tub, like there's not much that it'd be very surprising if that would cause that much fertility issues, because mm. something like varicoceles are doing it because it's, it's just constant, you know? Mm. You know, it's funny, I never correlated the one to the other. I was like, yeah, like the heat seater, it's a problem. People say it's a problem, but then no one ever said a hot tub was a problem. (laughs) A hot tub would be the most problem. If we're talking about problems here, it would obviously be the hot tub or the steam room. Like that's, it's hilarious. I appreciate that correlation because that really clicked and made me realize how almost in a way like, wait, why did, how did I even believe that? I'll get in the hot tub all the time. So just to clarify, the Wi-Fi, the 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 whatever, nothing. Not that we know of. You know, people okay. have definitely been looking. It's always the problem is it's very hard to do any really good studies on these sort of topics, right? Hmm. Because you know, when when we think about fertility, oftentimes people don't really go for these tests, like a sperm test, unless there's mm-hmm. a problem. So that's why a lot of the studies that have been based on fertility and all these things, they haven't been. Su- not that they're not super well done. It's just they're hard to do. And there's so much variability in a sperm test. You know, you I can see somebody and their sperm test could be, and it, this may not provide much context, but like it could, it could range by 10, 15 million plus or minus based on when they did the collection, based on a few days apart. So mm. it, it's so variable that it's um, doing studies on these topics can be very challenging. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Uh, to get into the a little deeper quickly for the male fertility side of things, when you go about treating that, uh, is it something that you do more medically or is it something that you do more lifestyle or is it a balance of both? Where do you normally lean to? Or is there maybe a lean that you take at all? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, when, when we think about, you know, just a good example, like just someone comes in with male infertility uh, or you know, fertility workup, they've been struggling. So the first thing we do is we do get them to do a couple semen tests. So they'll check the semen to see what the concentration is like, the movement, if there's even sperm present. Then we'll do some hormone tests, see their testosterone levels. And so based on those results and then getting probing a little bit into their lifestyle, if there's like, you know, smoking, a lot of alcohol, potentially drugs or any other medical conditions, you try to manage those first with with just lifestyle recommendations and modifications. And mm-hmm. then you may size, try some medications depending on if their testosterone is low. Now, you don't put someone on testosterone itself because that actually shuts off your sperm production. But there are mm. other medications you can put on that help try to stimulate your own body's testosterone production to help drive more sperm production. Does that make sense? So taking tea, so if someone goes on tea, like injections or something like that, that actually shuts off your own sperm production. So you don't put them on that. But mm. when it comes to like those varicoceles, that's actually surgery. So I often fix those surgical. Um, and so, so that's typically, that's some of the most common uh, treatment options. 
And when, when I think about like going to the pharmacy and buying testosterone boosters, by, for example, right? Like they're everywhere, they're very available. Is that the same kind of idea? Like if I'm taking that, then I'm not, I'm kind of shutting down the other system? You can, for sure. I mean, it all depends on what's in it, right? Like if it's, um, if you're thinking like testosterone booster, like potentially a supplement, some of those mm. things are always challenging because they're, because it's not as heavily regulated, we often don't even know what's in it, right? Mm. So like it's, um, you know, that that's always the challenging part about it. But those sort of things can potentially shut off your own sperm production. Interesting. To, yeah. um, this is, this is a question that I think that, you know, many people might be quite interested in. Um, there is a wild amount of young people using Viagra and Cialis, um, on a, on a regular basis. Um, what are the long-term effects of that, if any? Like, if you are using this, because I mean, I feel like these drugs are created for people at like maybe like an older age or having actual real struggles. But like, there's this massive wave of young people who are able and you know can get you know can more or less get it up, and they're using it as a more of an enhancement tool, I guess. Essentially, um, is there long-term effects with you know using using that at a young age? How does that kind of play a role in, in erectile dysfunction? Yeah, you know, I see a lot of young guys with erectile dysfunction, whether this is, again, more than what it was before. You know, again, maybe just people are talking about it, but but certainly mm -hmm. a lot more people are using these medications because they're more readily available, right? It's very simple just to go online. Um, you know, it's it's uh, a lot of companies market this, direct your house, and, and it's great. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's good that people are able to get these drugs that they may never have felt comfortable going to see a doctor. But I think when the young patients come in with erectile dysfunction, um, my goal is to identify, is this potentially psychogenic? So like, you know, is a psych, not, not like saying like there's some psychologically wrong, but is this potentially something like they're psyching themselves out hmm. or is it organic? So something actually physically wrong. Now in most situations, and I would say, you know, again, I'm just throwing out numbers, but in, in nine times out of 10, it is psychogenic. Okay. Hmm. It's very uncommon for a young hmm. guy to just have erectile dysfunction unless they've had it their entire lives. Okay. Um, because young people, you know, unless they have, a, you know, significant medical problems like, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, all these sort of things, or they potentially had some sort of a, a fracture, like say like a car accident where they've actually compromised the blood flow to the penis, they shouldn't really have any issues with blood flow. Okay. So in those young people, my goal is to one identify. So what you know? When did this start? You know, how long has it been going on for? Was this a sudden onset? What about masturbation? Can you masturbate without any problems? And sometimes that often tells me. Some I have some guys who say I can masturbate no problem, but I just can't have sex. Well, you know, trying mm -hmm. to trying to get them to sort of believe that that it's more psychological because oftentimes they come in thinking, listen, it's a blood flow issue. There's something going on down there, and it's 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 really, uh, and it can be sort of it can take a few times to sort of have that conversation and figure out what the root of the problem is. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the pills, you know, they've been around for a long time, whether they have any long-term problems, we don't really know. Um, you know, overall, all the studies have been safe, but my biggest concern about the pills is the dependence on it, is that they're mm -hmm. going to feel like they always need this to perform. When in fact, you know, let's just talk about this. Like, you know, maybe we need to go to some sex therapy. Maybe we just need to talk about it. Let's break this cycle so we don't get you to take these pills that you one don't need and that aren't cheap, you know? So I think it's trying to break those cycles. And, and more often than that, that's not successful. The problem is a lot of these sort of uh, therapists, um, 
you know, unfortunately, a lot of insurance coverages don't cover them. So sometimes uh, that could be a big barrier to even getting appointments mm. because it can be pretty costly. You know, what's easier than just taking a pill that they're, they'll be like, oh, I'll just take the pill, it'll be fine, than trying mm-hmm. to get to the root cause of this. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's not a simple fix, but I think trying to figure out the root cause is definitely what I, I try to do. Um, you know, whether successful or not is always, uh, is not always the case though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I think this, I think the psychology thing is kind of interesting. Um, especially if there's a, you know, there's the masturbation ability, but there's not the ability to have sex. Like, do you think that there is, and I mean, I'm not trying to put, you know, ideas in your head, but do you think that the, the increased in technology and porn has something to do with, uh, some of the psycho, um, I guess, analysis of, you know, like erectile dysfunction, like sure. In the comforts of my own bed, watching certain things, it's fine. And then when mm-hmm. it comes to like real human interaction with real people, there is, there's a level of uh freeze or a level of like, you know, uh, overthinking and it, it doesn't happen. Is, is there a correlation there? Cause there is a lot of, you know, literature out there these days that are talking about the, the porn pandemic, like the epidemic that we're going through right now, which is uh, a pretty scary one for young men. Yeah, the pandemic. No, 100%, you know, like, like, uh, when it comes to those sort of things, I think it can have an impact because, you know, as I mean, most guys know, they can stimulate themselves to what they want, you know, what I'm saying like, like, they, they know what they're going for. And so if they cannot replicate that during intercourse, they may one lose the erection, or they may say, I, I you know what, I just can't feel it sometimes during sex. And it's because they're not stimulating themselves to what they're used to. So mm. the more frequent that you are masturbating and the less, you know, sexual activity you're having or any sort of like inter, uh, interaction, it, it, you're going to, it's going to be hard for you to get that same level. And that's where I, I like it when patients bring their partners in, if they have a partner, right. To have that conversation with them there as well. It's be like, you know, have the partner there, let's figure this out together. You know, because that, that conversation needs to happen is that you guys need to change positions. You guys need to talk about it. Like what's going on, what works for you, what works for them. And I think people, there's a lot of embarrassment, right? People just don't want to talk about it. You know, it takes them just the courage to come to the appointment and then having to bring it up to the partner. They feel that they're letting them down. Well, I found most times is that when the partner's there, they're actually pretty receptive. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they want to fix this just as much as the partner does. Like, like, okay, let's get this going. Like, let's work together. So you know, it just goes back to just having this conversation and, and figuring out how this, uh, how this works. I'm going to backtrack here, the casualness of your uh, statement, the pandemic, and then he just moves on with the conversation. Like that's a normal <laughs> sentence. It's not a normal sentence. And I actually appreciate that language. I was like, yes, <laughs> this guy's thought about this before I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So something that Anwar and I both deeply value in our lives is personal development and not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk, which is one of the fundamental reasons why we created this podcast is to support you in having the tough conversations and then feeling confident and safe to take new action with this new knowledge. So what we've decided to do to support you in this is we've partnered with Men's League, a men's mental health platform whose biggest focus is to make a systemic shift and how we view what being a man is and what masculinity entails. Their mission is to provide a diverse group of like-minded men with a support system surrounding their mental health, their physical health, their financial aptitude, and their personal relationships. 
Men's League is a space where you commit to improving yourself. You commit to improving your mental health and becoming a better man. So what does Men's League offer? Well, let's get into it. First and foremost, they're a private community for men which includes a chat forum and also monthly Zoom calls where you come together, discuss a topic, and you just partake in conversation with other men. I've taken part in so many of those. They're one of my favorite things. Mental health check-ins. So this is huge. This is unlimited 45-minute sessions with mental health professionals. Incredible. You always have that help at your access. Discounted one-on-one and group coaching services, a whole mental health resource library to help you manage your day-to-day and real-life issues. Exclusive membership offers. This is cool. They have discounts for men's clothing and health products. And this is my personal favorite part because I've partaken in it a lot is professionally made online self-development courses that you can take at your own pace. They're always available to you and they'll help you with your relationships, your physical health, and your financial aptitude. So if you're looking to get involved, we in Men's League are excited to offer you a 50% off of your first year membership to do, to join the league, go ahead and click that link in the bio or go to mensleague.com. And don't forget to enter a promo code modernmask50 and get access to everything they have to offer. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. Um, something interesting about that too is like, I, so coming off of the back of my experience with porn and slowly coming to the realization of what it was doing to me psychologically and trying my best to slowly drift away from it. Um, what was interesting for me to hear you say just now is the habitual nature of it. Like I never thought about it like a morning routine, like, and not to say I did it in the morning. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that like I have a morning routine where I do certain things, right? So then as time passes and I do them, that's just what I get used to. But then you try to change that up and you say, do something different. That's incredibly difficult for me to do. I have this system. I have this thing in place. And I've never correlated the application of when I was watching porn more frequently, that that would be almost the way in which my mind habituates sexual um, actions, Right. So when sex would come, it's not that it was hard for me at the time, but it was in ways I probably mentally enjoyed it less specifically because I was so used to this other experience. I just, for me, that just kind of hit home. I was like, ah, the habitual nature of it really lands for me. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think we we're, we're, we're all creatures of habit, you know, like we, we all get into routines and then once you start breaking up that routine, it can be quite challenging. And it, it just, uh, you know, we can take this example and just apply it to everything. So that it's all once. And that's the thing. Once I start having these conversations with, with patients, a lot of times it's like a, a light bulb goes off. Like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, I, you know, I may need to do this. Or, you know, if they start losing their erection during intercourse, well, it's like, okay, well, maybe you got to cut back the, maybe you have to cut back the masturbation. Maybe you have to, you know, so, so, so things like that where people don't, realize these patterns because it's just so common to them and they, and they don't make that connections, you know? Mm -hmm. What are some, this is just more of a, an open question. When you open something like your clinic, right. And you open the doors, I always say that like there's you, you had mentioned that it's hard enough for them to come in and then for them to be vulnerable enough to bring their partner in, right? It shows this like level of like stigma breaking and I need to do this to get to this. 
when you open your doors, what's just coming in very easily and what's harder for people to admit that they have a problem with? Like, is there something that like, it's a testosterone conversation a little bit easier for men to get into? Like, Hey man, I think that like my libido is down or, you know, can I get t- testosterone replacement? Is there, or, you know, I, I saw something on your guys' page about, um, surgeries for, um, uh, is it, is, is it the penis itself in terms of making it like, like larger or more blood flow? Like, is there something that, you know, men are, lining up at the door for and then there's areas where there's a little bit more of a, a coaching and an education element to it um and what how would you decipher those those kind of stigmas within the clinic yeah it's a good question you know i i i, I feel like most you know i think just as you, as you were kind of talking about how how um you know young guys are able to get pills and stuff like that easier or viagra cialis i i, I feel like a lot of these conditions Men sort of come out now and kind of seek them, you know, whether it's like hormone replacement or erections or curvature issues. Um, I think the one thing that they often don't talk about is the impact it's having on their relationship. Mm. You know, I think that's always tends to be, they don't really know because I don't think they often talk about it with their partner is that like talking about what they're struggling with very easy for guys to talk you know i think i think when they when they come in they want they want to seek help they want to figure out what's going on and fix it um but then when you often ask how is this impacting your relationship i think that's where the challenging part comes in because they don't often know you know Mm. they 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 say well we haven't really talked about it um well it's been like six months since we even tried or nine months or we don't i don't even bother trying anymore because i know it's not going to work and so when i ask have you talked to your partner they said no you know so so that you know, um, you would think the first part would be the toughest part, like talking about <laughs> what's going on. That part, I find that they, they're, it's great. They, they want to find help and they're willing to, you know, kind of tell me what's going on. But then how it's actually impacting them, that's where they the struggle is. Hmm. Well, what so do, I think you, it's what do you guys do as far as creating a safe space for that? Because I think that um, you guys are a men's health clinic. So the idea of like having some sort of therapy or psychological standpoint behind that all, I don't know if you guys do or not in your clinic, but um, what do you think creates that safety for men to be able to open up about those problems? Because naturally we look online and it's everyone's kind of closed off behind. I mean, it's online, so it's obviously different, but we're still working through that vulnerability stigma. We're still working through that movement and yours, yours is specifically a men's clinic. Do you feel like it's because you're specifically a men's clinic and that's it or is there something extra or more that you feel you guys do in order to be able to provide that safe space for them to have that kind of conversation with you yeah it, it, great question like i i think i don't know if there's anything specifically that we're doing we've definitely tr- like we would love to have a therapist working at our clinic i think that'd be number one would be great to have that opportunity there's some there's some therapists in within winnipeg that we refer to so i think i think mm-hmm. that's good but this but unfortunately it's just another sort of barrier you know like once they're in the clinic i think it would make things people would be more receptive to it when you have to think about oh now i gotta wait another referral where's their office Mm -hmm. you know you're just sort of creating potential roadblocks to them actually going to to seek it um i think that just the men's health clinic aspect of it you know i think the fact that when they look at the website um you know or even when they come to the waiting room and they see tons of other patients there like it's not infrequent when people say oh man i had no idea like there were so many mm. men having similar issues. I mean, they don't know exactly what other people are there for, but they know it's within the realm of men's health that they're like, oh, wow, this is super busy. So I think just that in itself 
has, uh, has definitely gotten people realizing how common these conditions are. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. It's like, there's like a mini community behind it when they walk in the door. That's interesting. Okay. Thanks for that. Thanks. That, that gives a good perspective for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it, you know, it's almost by having a place where it's called the men's health clinic by entering that room. I think you already kind of know, like I can talk about my problems here, you know, like this is yeah. specifically for us. This is specifically, you know, so I think that that in itself feels like, Hey, these people are expecting conversations about erectile dysfunction or, you know, even the way you guys have like laid out your Instagram page, it's like, you know, you guys have almost kind of gave them the questions or the way to speak to you uh, in a way of, you know, you've kind of have offered up the blueprint essentially of like, Hey, we deal with these problems all the time. Come in. If this is you, um, it makes it, it, you bring up an amazing point there of saying that like the real vulnerability isn't to the doctor, it's to their partner. You know, they don't want, they actually are struggling to admit to their partner what they're going through. And this is really just another step of them trying to figure it out in silence. You know, you're just one more person that they're going to in their way of figuring out what the problem is without telling anybody about it, you know, which is um, often what we talk about is, you know, we're, we're really solution oriented, but we don't want to talk about how we're going about the process, you know, and we, we want to suffer in that silence. So it's interesting that it's showing up in that space as well. I wanted to steer the conversation in a different direction. Uh, another area that men are um, is this testosterone, um, the testosterone therapy, uh, replacement therapy. I think testosterone is a really interesting conversation. I think every single, I think, ad or anything that kind of goes, I think that guys are just, that's the, that's the buzzword for guys. You want to sell something medical to a guy, you need more testosterone. There's a guy who's jacked. There's all these, you know, these pills and, you know, testosterone is the thing. Um, I think one, I'm curious as to just what testosterone replacement therapy is straight up. Second, I'm curious about how steroids play a role um, in testosterone. We can kind of go that into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, what is testosterone replacement therapy and um, what does that look like? How would you be able to identify that for yourself um, if, if you were feeling like this is what I need to do? Like what are markers for that? Yeah, when it comes to testosterone deficiency. So, you know, having low testosterone uh, with irritability, mood changes, you may be more fatigued, more tired. And then you may have some of those sexual side effects, right? You may have issues with erections, libido, loss of desire, um, other issues like not gaining enough muscle mass. Um, so there's, there's, it is quite varied. And I think that's always a struggle with testosterone deficiency in that there's a lot of questionnaires that existed, but none of them were very specific to testosterone deficiency. So it's not like you can take a questionnaire and say, oh, I have all the symptoms. I for sure have low testosterone. The problem is a lot of other conditions also mimic a lot of that, right? So mm -hmm. there's so much overlap. So when we think about testosterone replacement therapy, what is it? So it's, you know, essentially just taking testosterone, uh, which is a hormone. So in terms of how you get it, there's a lot of different formulations. So you talked about pills, there's injections, there's gels, um, in the US, there's pellets, so there's creams, like there's a lot of different ways testosterone can be absorbed by the body. And so when I put people on testosterone replacement therapy, you try to follow uh, a guideline. So, you know, as a, as a urologist, we follow our Canadian Urological Association guidelines. So I'm one of the committee members. So we wrote sort of guidelines on how you should be monitoring, well, number one, who you should be putting, who should get testosterone replacement therapy, how they should be properly investigated, what are the risks of it, what are the different formulations and then the follow-up with them? So typically you put them on the therapy, 
And then usually at about three months, six months, not like nine, 12, uh, you repeat some blood work, see them in the office, check their symptoms that they were experiencing, see how it's been improving. Um, so it's, it's a pretty standard sort of protocol in terms of how we monitor uh, the progression on test, uh, TRT. I think, the, I think the struggle with TRT, uh, and not so much here in Canada, I saw that a lot in the States, um, was that there's a big push to try to get TRT because it's going to, you know, like you said, it's going to make me jacked. It's going to, you know, make me better in this aspect or that. Um, I don't think we should have that much in the Canada per se, because I think it's as not as much uh, marketed here than it would be in the States. You know, in, in the U.S., especially where I trained down in Miami, you know, there, there's tea clinics, right? So if, if you weren't going to prescribe someone tea, well, they're just going to go next door and get tea. You know, here it's a little bit more more regulated. And I and I think, um, you know, I think it's it's not, uh, I wouldn't say abused, but but it's just not as um, as mainstream as I saw down in the U.S. Um, in terms of testosterone, I think it's great, you know, just like any other hormone. You know, we replaced thyroid hormone. We replace other hormones. Like, I just think of it as just if you're low in it, you need it. Let's replace it. But is there ways that we could potentially get you to raise your own, right? Like, like just like when we talk about that erectile dysfunction conversation, young guys, let's get to the root cause of this. You know, is it, is it sleep? You know, is it nutritional issues? Is it not exercising? All those definitely play a factor in low testosterone. Now, the one struggle is, is that, is that low T going to cause you the inability to even do those things? If you're like, if I'm like, hey, man, you got to go to the gym five days a week, you'll get your tea back up. And then he's like, doc, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, how can I, how can I go to the gym if I can't even like, it, like, how do you expect me to go to the gym if I don't have the energy to do it? And that's where tea is great. Like I tell people like, let's, we can put you on some testosterone, give you some energy back, but then you got to make those lifestyle changes or you're just going to be on it for life. You know? And I, I think people resonate with that. They're like, great. I, and then they start to feel better that they're going to the gym, they're losing weight. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I think identifying the you know, those signs and symptoms, making sure you actually do have low testosterone on blood work, trying to identify any potential reversible causes for low testosterone. Um, and then, you know, talking about the risk factors and all those sort of things of being on T and then, and then uh, going on it, I don't, I don't think that's harmful in the right patient. Do you feel like the ease of access is... Well, I think we kind of said it. It's almost creating a, I would go as far as saying a possible dependency on if it can always access it very easily, especially in the States. It's something you could just go and get without worries. I think as a man, we correlate testosterone levels with how manly we are. So we just, if I have a lot of testosterone, that must mean I'm more of a man. And if I have low testosterone, I'm less of a man. Do you think there is some truth to the idea that because it's become so accessible, one, two, it's become such a big conversation around masculinity that people are just kind of getting it whenever and however, that that may actually be one of the reasons why it's, why we're all having such a struggle with it is because we just go and do it without addressing the actual root issues. Like we're not checking in on our own lifestyles. We're not checking in on how we could be contributing to it as a person. Instead, we just see the problem and then we say, here's the fixer. Let me just do that instead. In my head, it sounds to me like, um, in a way we're almost like using and abusing that freedom or that idea that we can just go and top it up and then we'll be good. Like we don't actually have to solve the actual problem. I'm not quite sure if that, if that question actually came through clearly, but 
I think what I was just trying to get at is, is, is the dependency itself is that could that be causing overall lower testosterone levels amongst men in general? You know what? I, I think it also just stems from the fact that like, I don't think as we get older, I think generally speaking, most men are not as physically active as maybe they think they are mm. or that they, it's, you know, even myself, like today I just did 20 pushups. I was like, oh, great. That's perfect. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like, but like back in the day, you know, you'd be going to the gym four days a week, right? You'd be going to the gym play four days a week. You'd be playing mm-hmm. sports. Like you'd be doing all these things that like, you're just not doing it as often, you know, like I, I'm like, I could probably compare my own physical level activity activity. I may think I'm physically active, but nothing compared to what I was. And so you're taking such a huge dive in your level of physical activity. And this seems quite mainstream that, you know, a lot of guys are just not as active as they used to be. And it could be for tons of reasons, right? Like, you know, working get busy, life can get busy. Um, but then going into that conversation about like just quick fixes, um, I think marketing and has definitely caused an issue with that, right? Saying, you know, let's fix this. Let's fix this right now. You just need to get, mm-hmm. you just need to get a blood test, get you on some medications. We'll get you back. We'll get you back to where you were before. I think we're, um, you know, as, as physicians and healthcare professionals and honestly, everybody, like we really have to start taking a look back at just even our own lifestyle aspects because a lot of medical conditions could be prevented just by sleep, sleep, diet, exercise, you know, like we, we can definitely deal with a lot of problems just by uh, very simple lifestyle modifications. Um, you know, it, it, I'm not going to say that they're easy to do. Like I, I struggle with trying to maintain, to <laughs> maintain like a very active lifestyle too. But I, I, uh, I think that's the biggest thing. And then the ease of access is not helping that per se. You know, I think it's great mm-hmm. that, that you can, that you can actually go somewhere and feel comfortable getting it. But I think we need to focus on that, that, uh, the lifestyle stuff. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. hundred percent. And I think my question was more or less obvious. Um, it was more of me like processing out loud this idea of having such access and that and essentially being a quick fix. And then of course that being a problem without addressing my own route. Um, so I think I was kind of, I was working through it. So I, your language helped me provide more context and kind of close that loop. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that you also kind of, you know, you start to have an, uh, another conversation, right? I think even before this conversation, me and Kyle were talking about how the average, like what we're doing in terms of environment nowadays is just not as physical. Like before you didn't even need to work out, right? Like if we go even further back, just being alive, hunting, gathering, that was just, you know, and like that was a workout, right? Your day-to-day life was a workout. We were very, very labor heavy. And as we now get into... You know, COVID really showed us it's like now we're going from our, our bedroom to the second room to be on a computer, to sit down all day, to, you know, work 12 hours and then get up and we're barely even moving. We're barely physical. Uh, and then you just lose that feeling of, you know, I don't feel like a man. I don't feel like I got any kind of, you know, gusto. I don't got any kind of, you know, boost. I'm going to go see someone about it. And then, you know, now, you know, TRT becomes a lot more like a very good option, you know, but ultimately you kind of still need that time, right? You still got to put in the time to make that TRT last or, you know, make the, make the right adjustment. Cause it sounds like in your clinic where you really want to practice is let's do this to get you on your way, but let's get you on your way, you know? Um, 
and we are in a very quick fix you know two-day delivery like you know same day shipping just just give me something let me let me get, let me feel the feeling that i want to feel and we've really lost vision of like delayed gratification i feel like as a society as you know we're really just trying to find people to fix problems in the short term and it sounds like it could be a little bit more problematic though could be really good for a short-term boost to ultimately kind of get, gain your own control and your own power back. Well, and, and it's a struggle too. I mean, like a lot of these uh, hormone replacement, this is common with other conditions as well, like thyroid, is that you get a honeymoon phase. So say you've been feeling low because your testosterone is low. Then all of a sudden you go on test and you're like, I feel great. And then it's been like that for four to six weeks. Then all of a sudden you're like, it's not like you're dipping, but you're getting used to that level. And, and then all of a sudden, you it's not uncommon where people come back and say, I think my levels are low. And you'll check them and say, no, no, they're normal. It's because you, you've been so low, you're finally back to normal, but then you get a bit of a honeymoon. And so you're kind of thinking, well, I need more. I need more. Like, I need to increase my dose. Like, I need to get that feeling back again. Mm, and chasing so, the high. You, yeah, right? And then you're putting, you know, when it comes to testosterone, we don't really know. So one of the biggest uh, controversies with testosterone replacement therapy is cardiovascular disease. So like potential risks of heart attacks and strokes and all these sort of things because testosterone can actually make your blood thicker. So there's a hematocrit, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a thickness of your blood. Uh, we monitor that very closely on testosterone. And so it's still debated. And there's a big study right now that's being recruited trying to answer that question. Does testosterone actually increase your risk of cardiovascular disease? Um, the opposite is true, though. So men who have low testosterone have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease because they tend to have other medical problems that put them at a risk for heart disease. Mm. Okay. So like cholesterol issues, diabetes, all these sort of things. So that is the biggest player. So, so men who have low T tend to have those other medical problems that put them at a risk. Okay. But test itself, whether that actually increases your risk, a bit controversial, we don't really know, but that's why it's always, I'm always cautious about trying to increase doses is because, you know, you're just, you're potentially asking for, these theoretical risks of all these other, you know, big, big consequences, you know, um, and that, and going back to the infertility thing, I think a lot of, I, I don't, I, time to time, I'll see young patients who are concerned about their testosterone levels, you know, but are you going to put someone on testosterone who's in their thirties? When are you going to stop? Are you going to put them on for the rest of their life? What about fertility? So th th there's all these things that you need to take into consideration before you start going down this kind of uh, rabbit hole, putting someone on medication that, uh, one, are they ever going to get off of it? Why are they on it? So, you know, it's it, these don't turn into just a five-minute appointment. So you got to really have this conversation with patients and give them the time and figure out what's actually going on. You said something interesting that you said from time to time I get young people in. Is that more of a rare occurrence for you at the Men's Health Clinic? Or what is the general age range that comes in? Because I've, you know, I've had thoughts about, you know, should I get checked? Like, I don't know, I'm 30, like, I don't really know, and I feel good. But, like, is it important? Does it help to check? I think naturally it would help to check, but is it really that necessary? Like, I go through that inner conflict. So uh, it sounded to me like younger people aren't necessarily coming in. Is that something you feel that maybe could be normalized or should be normalized at any point? And what do you think or what have you noticed is the average age range that comes into your clinic? Yeah, it's always challenging because it depends on what sort of disease state we're talking about. Like, you know, like infertility. You know, right. they're all going to be late 20s, 30s, some 40s, you know, erectile dysfunction, penile curvatures, usually more in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and I'm 70, you know, probably 70, 80s year old men. And then peeing problems. And men, as men get older, the prostate becomes bigger. So typically men who present with problems with emptying their bladder, 40s, 50s, 60s, and older. Um, 
when it comes to the t- testosterone, it's a very big spread. Uh, it does tend to be in that older age group, you know, the 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, and 60s. But then, you know, you're going to get some younger guys there as well. Uh, certainly, there's some people that come in that 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 have questions about their testosterone level. Now, we don't really know what it means at that age, right? If someone comes in, all we know is these what is normal, right? Like, and, and even that mm-hmm. is a little bit debated because younger people actually have a higher level of testosterone, like your testosterone compared to someone who's 60, you know, what is your reference range? Like, you, like right. right now, it's basically a blanket statement that we say 10.4, which is like 300 nanograms is what the US marker is. And that's kind of questionable as well. Well, if you're 310, well, that's normal. Now, mm-hmm. that's not really normal for someone your age, right? So it, it's... um. there's always uh, there's a lot of debate about like what is normal in younger people versus older people and so forth so um, it's definitely an interesting topic Mm -hmm. on that kind of conversation I guess about getting checked in ages and things like that let's pivot into prostate, uh, prostate cancer. And um, we're seeing a lot of, obviously, Movember does a good job of trying to cover that and talk about that. And um, I remember, you know, this coming across my space, you know, a couple of years ago and think, oh, I got to go get checked. And then I was told, you're a little too young, buddy. <laughs> you probably shouldn't be getting checked. Um, so what is like the appropriate time to be a bit more, obviously, we're trying to create awareness around prostate, but like, there's also probably a, a, an age where you need to be actually like doing something about it or being more proactive about it. Um, what is that timeline? What does that age look like? And what can you share to the audience about like, you know, prostate cancer and, 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 and it's how maybe we can be preventative about it or what we should know about it? Yeah. So prostate cancer, the most common cancer among men, right? So one in nine Canadian men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, You know, fortunately, when it comes to prostate cancer, um, there's a widespread, okay, in terms of aggressiveness. The fortunate thing is that a lot of prostate cancer tends to be indolent, so not as aggressive. So there's even a lot of prostate cancers that we watch, right? We actually don't even need to treat them. It's something called active surveillance. So um, the nice thing is that we are learning a lot more about prostate cancer uh, and that there are some forms, some forms of prostate cancer that some men can safely be observed for one, two, three, four, you know, many years without needing to undergo any intervention. Uh, in terms of actually talking about screening, so basically it's a PSA test. So it's a prostate, it's called prostate-specific antigens, which is a blood test. Um, and we usually recommend it about age 55. So if you have no risk factors, and that's typically people, so, you know, what are risk factors for prostate cancer? It tends to be if you've had a family history of it. Okay. And when we think about family history, um, the closer that person is to you and the earlier their age of diagnosis and, you know, the, and the severity of it. So it's different conversation if, say, someone's had, um, you know, an uncle who was in their 80s who had prostate cancer than somebody who says, well, my brother or my father was in their 40s or 50s or 60s, you know. So, so the closer that relative is to you, the higher your potential risk. And that's where screening tends to be a little bit earlier. So that could be 45 or 50. And that test involves that PSA test, so a blood test, and then a rectal examination where basically we can feel the prostate um, and we feel for any lumps or bumps or any hard areas. And then putting those two together, that may warrant either repeating that blood test, getting an MRI to see if there's any lumps or bumps, and then eventually getting a biopsy. So basically getting a biopsy of that prostate and seeing what type of cancer it is or if it is cancer. And at that point, once you have all that information, then you can think about treatment options. 
Interesting. So 55 is the is, is 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 the age. So if you have no clinical history, let's say you have no family issues, no nothing, and you're just you're going on your mosey way, in your 50s is when you should start to maybe do some checks and um, get ahead of the problem. Yeah, exactly. Like you get that blood test done, get that rectal examination, uh, and then periodic blood tests, and then depending on what that PSA is. Um, in, in some men, if it's if it's very low, we often don't need to repeat it for a few years. So, you know, we're still, there's so much still left to learn about prostate cancer, uh, but there's definitely big, some big pushes and we're trying to, the, the one thing that happened historically, and when it comes to a lot of these blood tests, is that overdiagnosis, right? So, you know, whenever you say that C word, people want it out, right? It's cancer, take it out, take it out, take it out. But then we started realizing that a lot of this cancer was not all the same, right? And so you were often treating men, you were removing the prostate, you were causing issues with erections, you were potentially causing them having continence or leakage, and they were having very low prostate, low grade prostate cancer that could be just actively surveyed, okay? Now we're trying our best to identify the men who are going to be benefit the most from intervention or treatment. So either radiation or surgery, um, so it's, um, you know, it's definitely uh, a moving sort of thing that's happening. Uh, Canada's definitely been one of the biggest in terms of that active surveillance. There's a guy in Toronto who was sort of spearheaded active surveillance. And it's it's kind of a global thing that, you know, a lot of centers are picking up. Like it's still, the trouble is, it's just that C word, right? Once you say that word, it's hard to, to tell a patient, hey, don't worry about it. It's cancer. It's fine. You know, so <laughs> how do you, how do you, you, know, how do you, how do you that's say gonna that? That's going to be a no. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, um, you know, so it's, uh, there's been almost even a put like nowadays, there's even a push that some of these types of low grade prostate cancer, even reclassifying them as non-cancer because mm. that word has such a powerful connotation to it. Huge. So by, right. It's huge. Right. So how do you tell someone, yo, we're just going to watch it. It's all good. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can, we're just going to uh, do some <laughs> active surveillance on your cancer. Just let it, just let it do its thing. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I, I could see that being an extremely difficult conversation. Yeah, I could see and and just yeah, just the way our psychology is is with words and things that we know to be that word is just, you know, we've heard way too much. That word is could be synonymously just replaced with the word death at this point. You know, it's it's yeah. it's a scary word. It's like it's like the it's like live death it feels like unfortunately and you know I, lo- I know a lot of people have suffered with, you know, real um challenges with that word. So I could see how trying to have a cat like being like hey we're gonna live surveillance this is not a conversation that's gonna go over very well um quick little pivot here actually i do want to finish one more thing there anything you can do proactively i've heard about i've heard kegel i've heard like being active with kegels i've heard i've heard all <laughs> kinds of things like men should be doing kegels as well like is this a real thing is that is that what we should we should be kind of you know um taking a pee and then holding it and then peeing again is is this all is this all factual or should we just live your life and then reassess at 55 <laughs> and i want to add something on there before you before you ask it it feels like i've just accepted the fact that one in nine men get this so speaking to the proactive side like can you speak to why it's so common like why is it one in nine and is there a way to decrease that number is that number getting like worse are we getting like closer to one in eight like because it's such a big conversation every year, I've never really questioned like, wait, why? Why is this a thing that men experience so frequently? So if you could add that on to proactiveness, that would I think be beneficial. Yeah, it, you know what? That's it's a great question. Unfortunately, I don't really have a great answer for you. Like, why? Why is it so common? Right? Like, what? Why? 
And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I don't really have an answer for. I don't think we quite understand why it is this right. common, um, you know, just like any other cancer as a lot of them are, are associated with aging. So, you know, you're just, you know, as you get older, your, your risk of, of, you know, all cells, you know, are, are mutating. So you start extrapolating that times whatever many years that you're living or how many times they divide, you're eventually there's a chance of some sort of mutation happening, right? And over time, your body doesn't have that ability to correct things as it, as it did when you're a kid, right? So that's, there's definitely some some concepts of that going on. In terms of preventative, there's really not much of anything, to be honest, in terms of a lot of that stuff, you know, people ask all the time about, you know, you mentioned the Kegels and all these sort of things. Um, we do recommend that in men who've had prostate surgery because that can help with some of the leakage in terms of preventativeness from prostate cancer. Uh, not, not really. Right. Like it, it all goes back to that lifestyle aspect, right? Like reducing like smoking, you know, that's a big culprit with a lot of cancers, right. Trying to limit alcohol. And then it even just goes to making sure you're, you're, you know, eating healthy, trying to avoid any other medical conditions. I think it's such a big thing from just that aspect that there's really not much else. And people often ask about vitamins and I get that asked so much in when it comes to fertility. You know, there's been big studies that have looked at um, vitamins in terms of trying to preventative for prostate cancer and even fertility. There's been shown to be no benefit, right? In fact, there was actually even some questions about harm from some of these vitamins. We get so much from our nutrition. Like we have such easy access to food and fruits and vegetables that all of us are getting more than enough vitamins uh, that we need. That anything additional is not really going to have, be beneficial from preventative standpoint. Mm. Listen, you just let every biohacking man down with that statement. You're like, listen, there's nothing man. you can do. There's no biohack you can take. And I'm thinking here, like, this man's lying. Like, there's got to be a biohack. There's for listen. sure got to be like an infrared sauna light or like an, a, a cold enough shower I could take, you know, <laughs> that's all I could think about. There's gotta be. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I would love to make Dr. Patel's uh, probiotics, but you know, like I, I uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I couldn't sleep at night, you know, it's just, it, and people ask all that time, you know, like it's, it's, it is. And that's what kind of, a, I, I do get quite disappointed in terms of just the, the, a lot of these companies do market, vitamins so aggressively and it's mm -hmm. uh you know there i'm sure there's a place for it there certainly are i got some people who you know if you think about people who you know get a lot of you know think about like a truck driver somebody who's potentially not at home having home cooked meals maybe eating mm -hmm. out frequently sure great role you know if you're not getting that nutritional support but i think um you know again i, I don't keep harping with the lifestyle aspect but i think that's a lot of times that can fix a lot of these issues that's right man gotta get back in the gym <laughs> it's worse that you're calling me out on that too it's been a week because of this transition so i'm literally feeling personally called out in this moment great timing great timing well i think we've uh, i think we've covered a lot of the topics um that we wanted to kind of cover uh, i think that there's a lot there to kind of dissect and pick at i think that there's a lot of what we really wanted to do is just introduce some of these topics and maybe some of the the challenges that are coming with i think there's been some super amazing takeaways um, to kind of, I guess, wrap it up, we have a we have a you know a last question here that we like to leave people with. But before we do that, we were wondering if you could, where can people find you at? Where can people kind of follow the journey a little bit? What kind of uh, what do you want to plug uh, in terms of plugging what you got going on in the in the pod? 
Yeah, again, again, I want to thank you guys. Thanks for the opportunity for having me on here. I think this was fantastic. Great conversation. Yeah, ch check out the website. So I think the biggest thing is check out the website, uh, mhclinic.ca has our Instagram, has the videos that we posted, trying to educate, uh, you know, try to educate men, their partners, you know, just trying to have that conversation. Um, and then just reaching out to the clinic. So we see patients all across Canada. We even have some patients down in the States that sometimes reach out to us as well. So, you know, we're just trying to, you know, just trying to be that source for, for men's health in Canada. Amazing. Go, go check them out. If you're, you have any questions, you're curious, you know, if it feels like there's a, it's a friendly space and they're willing to kind of get you answers if they don't have them. So, um, go definitely check them out. Our last kind of le leading question here is, um, if you were on your deathbed, um, and there was a young man who kind of entered your, your space and it was the last man you'd kind of speak to. Uh, and he said, Hey, I have questions about mental. I got questions about men's health. And you only had three things you could tell this person and everything else you've done in terms of work and a collective is gone. Um, you're leaving this person with three things that they can take away and they can walk away with from the space of men's health. What would those three things be? What, what would be kind of your, 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 your last kind of, I guess, parting gift um, to this young man? It's a very good question. I think the one thing, and I think all of us probably have felt this at some point, is that if you feel like you're alone dealing with the condition, you're definitely not. You know, I think we, and I see this every day, and, you know, I think we, a lot of men struggle with this, is that if you feel that you have something going on, talk about it, because for sure you're not alone. There's somebody else that's dealing with this and that there, there are treatment options for it. Um, number two, there's no quick fixes. You know, I think when it comes to a lot of these sort of things we talked about, the erections, testosterone, all that sort of stuff, it takes work, you know, it takes time. Um, and we often don't, and not to go too long on this, but like when we think about that, that erectile issue, people will always say, or, you know, most people say it just kind of stopped at this certain point, but they don't really, they may not be able to see the microcosm of what led to it. It could be five, 10 years of not being as physically active, not managing underlying conditions and these vessels or blood flow, it just slowly and slowly over time, gradually gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually all the only point you really realize is that where it didn't work. And so it's going to take maybe not that long, but it's going to take a period of time to reverse that. So I think, you know, putting that time and effort in, it's not going to be a quick fix, but it's going to be worth it in the end. So I think those are two biggest things. Um, what's my third one? My third one is just, you know, uh, be open with your partner. You know, I think a lot of times uh, people don't realize uh, how much of an effort or not impact your partner can have on these sort of things, right? Like maybe it's something that you guys can work for together, you know? So just to go in a story, when it comes to like erections, so oftentimes we, we give people Viagra Cialis. Um, when that fails or people are getting side effects, you can try injections. So injections are medications where basically you're injecting your penis, right? And so it's a drug you take 10 to 15 minutes beforehand. It's been around for a long time, works very well. And so, you know, I've had patients who come in and say, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if I can inject myself. And then 
you know, but but I say, well, bring your partner and let's have this conversation. And and sometimes they'll say, no, they they won't they won't want to do it. But then you, the partner comes and it's like, oh yeah, I'll figure that out. That's not a problem. It'd be easy to do, you know. And then they're like, oh, I didn't I didn't know you'd be okay with that, you know. So just talk to them about it because I think it's uh, you need to have that conversation. And, and uh, you know, if you have a partner, that's your partner in crime. So like, just uh, you know, be open with them. You know, your struggles are their struggles, and uh, you know, and together you can kind of you know overcome a lot of things. Some fire, some fire parting gifts for us. Appreciate that. You know what I love about it too, is that it's somehow universally found its way to relate to our, you know, shift in episodes for Movember, where we specifically focused on is relational health affecting your actual health in our last episode, just kind of correlating the two. And it's not that you directly said that, but you kind of directly said that when you're like, listen, like they'll help you in that moment. That's improving his overall like health through that experience and, and I like the fact that you were tying that in because obviously my experience I'm a relational coach so for me that spoke to me well but just the missing link in so much of this is that like your partner is likely going to support you in that I love that third one like I think that it was a great addition um, great addition thank you for expressing that oh great man I think that that uh kind of brings the the episode to a close um coach kyle you want to close it out let's walk it out absolutely thank you again so much for being here with us i appreciate you we appreciate you and i hope all the listeners you listen closely we're coming right back around to the lifestyle like this is exactly where we figured it and it's going to be difficult right but that's how life works life is a challenge and the most challenging things are the most rewarding so thank you for that reminder and thank you for giving us this information during november this is an important month and we're all doing our best to support this movement as always, but it's not just November that we do it. It's every month. That's why we have this podcast. So thank you again for being here. Thank you again for providing the information and thank you for the work you do. I won't, I don't know when I'll get a chance to come to Manitoba and check out the clinic, but I hope I get to because I love what you guys are doing. I know Anwar does as well. And I'm so grateful that we were able to connect with you. So we really appreciate that. And thank you if anyone's listening. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you as well for checking in on your health as a man. And we hope to see you in the next episode. By the way, this will be on YouTube. So go check it out and we'll see you in the next episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.